This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, dudes. Well, welcome back and try and guess if we have a special guest. I'm not good at surprises. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Sloan's here. I am. I wish I Yay. was in person. I, yeah, yeah. It really the COVID did. really fucked it all up, didn't it? Yep. That's really the only thing COVID knows how to do from yeah. what I... Because it messed <laughs> up my last year's spring break too. I was supposed to go to New York and then COVID. Mm-hmm. That's not where you want to be. During COVID, I'm sure. Oh, definitely not. No, yeah. No good. No good. All right. Well, we are covering Phil Hartman today. Mm. And how have we not done this yet? No idea. No idea. I do remember watching the Snapped episode on Bryn because I knew that Mm -hmm. he passed away, but I didn't know details, you know. And after I watched it, I was like, that mother... Like, I was so angry and still am. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Doing the research made me even more angry. Mm-hmm. I believe that. But yeah. yeah. I remember when it happened because I was in 98, May of 98. It was the end of seventh grade. I remember it. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I know. When the, like when you look back at the years, it's like, wow, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And also, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> at least you didn't get verbally attacked by our father, the other day I was watching The Three Amigos and I was like, dad, this movie came out in 30, like 35 years ago. And he was like, yeah, don't you feel old? That's not the point wow. of what I was saying. Did not come here to get attacked. Well, he knew what you were trying to say. You were trying to attack him. And he said, eh, 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 bitch, you're old now. I was now. not. I was just- I done been say- old. I made peace with it, bitch. You're old. Why do you think that our dad sounds like Dave Chappelle? <laughs> I've been. I've actually been watching a lot okay. of Chappelle. It comes through, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah, Chappelle just comes out of you, doesn't he? Well, not enough. Makes your dookie twinkle. <laughs> you guys remember that one? Hysterical. It's like I put diamonds on everything I eat because one, it's the most ballinest thing you can do, and two, it makes my dookie twinkle. <laughs> yeah. God, you gotta love. Uh, we started it back from like season one, episode one. So funny. Dave Chappelle is the best, A, and B, it just holds up. It does. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, what else holds up is Phil Hartman, and we should get there, shouldn't we? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe. 
All right. So let's do a couple trigger warnings here. There is going to be some talk of suicide, drug and alcohol abuse, and domestic violence. And, uh, you know, with that being said, let's get on into it, shall we? We're going to try into it. Yeah. So we're going to begin on May 28th, 1998. I'm pretty sure I was by the pool in like the eighth grade or something. Sloan remembers it well. It was end of seventh grade for me. So it had to have been sixth grade for you. Mm, Okay. You're younger than me, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, so I was in the fourth grade. I only remember because I started every year. So if like 98, I started eighth grade. But this was May of 98. So it was the end of seventh grade. That's Yeah, because I started kindergarten in 90. So everything just lined up. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. It helps a lot. It does. Yeah. Because I'm like trying to go back with the whatever. I can almost guarantee I had purple pants then. Oh, yeah. Like corduroy purple pants, probably. I had red corduroy stirrup pants. Well, do you remember the ones from Rave? <gasps> oh, I still miss those. They were the, flare. The flared they ones. Were purple. Yes! That zipped on the side. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was very Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones. We're talking about everybody but Phil Hartman. Come on. Oh, my God. So, (laughs) Phil Hartman. Okay. On the morning of May 28th, 1998 in Encino, California, 911 dispatch received a call at 6.20 a.m. from a man saying that there's someone who's been shot. It's always like, okay, who? Like, well, but also (laughs) that 911 call, the guy's like, hey, someone's been shot. Yeah, it's yeah, just he was like, super chill. Yeah. They're like, okay. I was in the middle of doing my laundry, so I just wanted to stop and let you guys know. Yeah, like it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can, like, maybe it's not a big deal to you. I don't want to bother you. Like, yeah. So they're <laughs> trying to figure busy. out, yeah, like what's going on? Is this person still alive? Are they breathing? He's like, I don't really know. I just know that like he's been shot. Where's he been shot? And he's like, oh yeah, the head. Like just, it's so for weird. Sure, for sure, the head. Yeah, like, I don't know. And he, so he says that his friend, who's the wife of the man that's been shot, came to his house drunk and she told him that she killed her husband. This is so wild. So wild. And he's like, she's still in the house and I now have the gun that she used. Okay, but like, how did you get to the house or were they all at your Like, it's so, it's just a lot of stuff going on. But, so his name is Ron Douglas. He says at first when she said that she killed her husband, he didn't believe her. And the her is Bren Hartman. And she's the wife of Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. I mean. R.I.P. I know. And they're like, he's like, I didn't believe her. But then she brought me to her house. She shows me his dead body. And then she says, I killed him. I killed him. I told you I killed him. I don't know why. And he steps out of the bedroom to call 911. So while he's on the phone, Bryn's on the other phone, on another phone in the bedroom. She's like picking up the phone, calling people. And she's telling or calling neighbors. She's calling family members, friends and saying, I shot Bill. I shot Bill. She called everybody. Yeah, she like called literally everybody. And she was telling them that Phil was dead. And while they're both on the phone, the police show up. So Ron has gotten Phil and Bryn's nine-year-old son from his room and gives him to the police to get him safely out of the home. Then they go back in and they get their six-year-old daughter out of the house. And then they hear another gunshot. So 
the LAPD has to assume that there's an active shooter. They've got to locate her in the house and disarm her. And they set up a team to break windows to get to her, but they found her. She was still in the bedroom. She was next to Phil's body. She'd locked herself in the room with him. And she called her sister to tell her to make sure that the kids always knew that she loved them. And then she pulled out the 38 caliber gun, put it into her mouth and pulled the trigger. And she was laying next to the body of her husband, Phil. And of course, the news spread quickly because this is a famous person. And media is there immediately, of course, because why not? And I mean, I feel like so many people know him from Saturday Night Live. There's other things, but can you imagine, like hearing the news that morning, it was just like, what? He was just in Jingle All the Way. I was going to say Jingle All the Way. Yes. His last movie was um, Small Soldiers, but it it came out after he died. But like, yeah, he was just, I just saw him. Mm -hmm. I know. It's like, no, no, Phil's fine. He's with Sinbad. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And Schwarzenegger. Yes. So who was Phil Hartman? Yeah, so Philip Edward Hartman was born on September 4th, 1948 in Brantford, Ontario in Canada. He was the fourth child out of eight to devout Catholics, Doris Marguerite Hartman and Rupert Lobig Hartman. Eight kids kids Catholic. Catholic. I was gonna say it. Yeah, it's like, oh, she must like to have a lot of sex. Oh, she's Catholic. Oh, okay. That's what (laughs) it is. There it is. That's what it is. Put that disclaimer on there. (laughs) At some point in his adult life, Phil would drop the second N at the end of Hartman. I was wondering because I thought it was always with two N's and then everything that I looked up, I was like, where the hell is the other N? I know. I kept spelling it with two N's too. I see. Yeah. Yeah. He took it it off. Rupert was a big supply salesman and Doris was a stay-at-home mom, which she would have to be with eight children. Good God. As the middle child in a big family, Phil struggled with the fact that he didn't get as much attention and affection as he'd like to have had. So he found other ways to get all eyes on him through being funny and entertaining. Phil would later say, I suppose I didn't get what I wanted out of my family life, so I started seeking love and attention elsewhere. In 1958, when he was 10, his family moved to the United States. First, they were in Connecticut, but then they settled permanently in California. In California, Phil attended Westchester High School, and he became the class clown and was thriving in that attention. Not only was he getting all this attention, but Phil was also very much enjoying the California 60s life. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Throughout hearing about this entire case, I was like, California in the 60s, amazing. California in the 80s, amazing. Like, you can't have that ever again. 
He went to high school with uh, Squeaky from from Charles Manson Shut up. crew. Oh. Yeah. Eek. That's crazy. Oh, you're Squeaky too. <laughs> California uh, in the 70s was a little scarier probably. That's <laughs> yeah. when all the uh, murdery... I left that decade out completely. I was like, 60's good, 80's good. I'm like, yeah, I didn't say... I d- I didn't mean to, talk but about I didn't. the 70s. No, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> but yeah, so Phil loved the outdoors. He loved surfing. He also smoked a lot of pot. He made friends with people in all different types of groups. Pot will bring people together. Sure it will. Yeah, man. The great equalizer. <laughs> exactly. After high school in 1966, Phil went to Santa Monica City College for a few classes. He would meet his friend Wink Roberts here in a public I love speaking course. Wink remembers they went on all kinds of trips like skiing into anywhere that there was water. Wink retold ABC's The Last Days of Phil Hartman, his favorite trip with Phil. He said they went to Mammoth Mountain where there was a place called Hot Creek. It's a geothermal body of water that is always warm despite being in the snowy mountains. And he recalled that the fog was thick and came about four feet off of the ground. So when you were in the water, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So Wink suggested that Phil do his impressions and really mess with people around them. There were hundreds of people and they couldn't see anything, but then out of the fog came this voice of John Wayne. Wink said that Phil entertained people for about two hours doing all different kinds of impressions. I hope somebody paid him. I know. (laughs) That's a lot of work. (laughs) It is, I'm sure. But have you guys ever encountered someone who's like, oh, I can do impressions? Because the person I have, it's awful. They're like, I can do impressions and they're never good and they don't ever stop. Do you know what I mean? Like they can't Uh, ever like read a room to be like, nobody's really laughing at you or we're laughing because it's uncomfortable. And then they just keep doing it. And I'm like, "Ah, that's that's funny. Yeah. It's like D on It's Always Sunny. Just really trying to do like Rosie Perez. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. And they're like, you're not, that's not what you're doing right now. (laughs) Yeah, the only impressionist I know is my husband's father can do a mean Daffy Duck. He really can. Actually, so I think he it's just more Donald. The, oh, right, Donald Duck. My bad. I'm a little foggy. Donald Duck. But well, he'll do the ducks. noise or whatever. And then I'm like, wow, that was that was a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Nail your it. eyes. You're right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right there. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nailed it. <laughs> Uh, Then Phil was offered an opportunity he couldn't pass up. His brother, John, was managing a music group called Rockin' Foo. (laughs) Wow. Uh, That just cracks me up for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. He wanted Phil to tag along and be a stagehand and all that. Phil decided that he had to do it, so he quit school and went. He traveled all over and lived that free life uh, on the road. After a while, Phil started pondering what he was going to do with his life. And in 1970, he fell in love. Apparently, Phil was quick to fall in love and almost as quick to be over it. He's a little bit of a Romeo, eh? Yeah. They said he would like crash into love and then almost as quickly just be like, all right, that's enough of that. It seemed like he was afraid of something, you know? Because it's like he would meet somebody, fall head over heels in love, get married, and then be like, I no longer talk to you. You can no longer get near the, like... Yeah. It's like he put that wall up like every single time. Well, and he was very emotionally guarded anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very. And they said like he hid behind the characters that he made. 
He met Gretchen Lewis in 1970, and they quickly got married. But almost immediately, Phil started to close himself off emotionally. There it is. Yep. There it is. In 1972, Phil decided to go back to college. He enrolled in California State University, seeking a degree in graphic design, which is awesome. And after he was finished, he had even started a graphic design business where he created over 40 album covers for big name bands like America, Crosby, Steels, and Nash. Uh, he designed their logo as well as smaller ones like Poco, which that one Poco song is really good. The Tryin' song. I don't sing it. I really love 70s music. Oh, God. I've been thinking about... um, I can't remember all the words, but... I think I know what you're talking about. Do I know the song? Keep on trying. I can't remember it all. I I feel like I know it now, too. (laughs) They sang it on Bones once. I don't remember watched that show. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did America, Crosby, Steals, and Nash, and the Poco. And I swear there was another big name one that I read like after I'd finished, but I can't remember what it is. That's so crazy. Like the evolution of like, you know, some people's careers. It's like, what if he had just been a graph, not just a graphic designer, but I mean, Phil Hartman had been a graphic yeah. designer. You know what I mean? Because it's like mm. his impressions would have been just like for the guys in the office. What about us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what about me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to make it all about me, but what about me? Despite his career successes, like Phil's former attorney, Steve Small, said, Phil fell in love easy, but he wasn't skilled at continuing the relationship. This proved somewhat true as his first marriage began to deteriorate. However, Gretchen recounts the details of their marriage in a more balanced way, where sh- they were both a little at fault. So basically she said that she went to school for fashion design and she was like 18 and then she married Phil and she's like of Saturday Night Live. You know that guy? (laughs) Yeah, that guy. And at the time he was just a struggling graphic designer. Neil Young, that's the other one, sorry. Oh, wow. So he he did Poco, Neil Young, America, blah, blah, blah. She said, we lived in Malibu um, and were married for five years and living quite the rock and roll life. His older brother was a William Morris agent, and he had some big groups. It was a crazy life that, as was California in the 60s. Chuck Coleman actually came out to visit me once, and no one was crazier than Chuck. I do not know who that is. Yeah, are we supposed to know this person? <laughs> Could not figure it out. I even asked my mom. If she's trying to be um, <laughs> impressive with her fashion Degree, like I had the Barbie fashion design game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's basically, like, you are a fashion designer. Yeah. Like, I mean, we've all been there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay Gretchen. But she just said that Phil was the greatest guy and she just wasn't ready for that life. So oh. they got divorced in 1972. That's a nice way to look at it. I think that I would probably be like, well, he was the worst. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You know, you right he was now. not a good husband to me. It was all 100% his fault. And that's why we got a divorce. <laughs> I mean, being married for five years, that's pretty impressive for somebody who immediately after getting married became emotionally unavailable. Yeah. 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 Like the, the next wife didn't stand for it. She was like, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not doing that. So they divorced in 72. Okay. He's still designing album cover art in 75. And then he becomes a part of the Groundlings, which is an improv comedy sketch group in California where a bunch of big name comedic actors started, such as 
Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, John Lovitz, Ooh. Will Farrell. I know. Sherry <laughs> O'Terry, Chris Catan, Kristen Wiig, Jimmy Fallon. Wow. It kind of reminds me of isn't the, name of the one in Chicago called, wasn't it Second City or something like that? It's like where Robin Williams and a bunch of people got oh, their start. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know the name of it. I don't know it, that yeah. one. Sounds, sounds right to me. One night, they called for an audience member to come up and give it a shot. So Phil did. And he was referred to as a hurricane, I guess, which is a good one. He got up and started doing his impressions and just blew everyone away. And after that, he was invited to become a member of the Groundlings. Julia Sweeney, fellow SNN alum, said that Phil was a rock star among nope, the Groundlings. Uh-uh. No, nope. <laughs> back up. What did I do? You said SNN. What did I do? SNN. Jeez, did I really? CNN. Yeah. Lame. Oof. Ouch. Right? <laughs> together. I was thinking about the news or something. Ew. Okay. <laughs> Hate that fucking show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Julia Sweeney, fellow SNL alum, said that Phil was a rock star among the groundlings and everyone, the women at least, had gone on a first date with Phil Hartman. <laughs> it's really bad because it's like, how many went on a second date? Not that many, oh, it sounds yeah, like. Not that many. Yeah. I mean, but it, okay, so like, he kind of reminds me a little bit in this sense of, um, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name, William Shatner, who is like, a person. Oh, yeah. Now, I love Phil Hartman, but I never viewed him as hot a sex in any symbol. way. Yes. Right. And so, like, that's, like, when I looked into, like, William Shatner and, like, growing up, I was like, he was actually attractive in the 60s. Yeah, I, that's how Phil Hartman was. Yeah, like, you I wasn't look at him and you're like, that. whoa. It's not bad. He used to be real cute. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> especially, like, you know, the characters he'd play in SNL and, like, you know, just the the kind of characters he ended up being were definitely not like, I mean, he wasn't like Sex a Harrison symbols. Ford. Yeah, so no. it was like, yeah. Just kind of funny. But I mean, the ladies loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of referred to Phil as like everyone's big brother. Later, his characters would all be described as egomaniacal, boorish, and smarmy. That's our favorite word, smart. Smarmy. <laughs> And these descriptions were a stark contrast to how everyone described the real Phil Hartman being called one of the nicest, most well-liked actors in Hollywood. Throughout his life, everyone would say nothing but complimentary things about Phil. Coworkers and directors called him professional and a joy to work with. During his time in The Groundlings, he helped Paul Rubens create the character of Pee-wee Herman, and he was a writer on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And when Pee-wee's Playhouse started, Phil was one of the big characters, Captain Carl. I like did not realize any of that until nope. looking into this case. Yeah. 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 I used to watch Pee-wee's Playhouse as a mm-hmm. kid, like all the time. And then it would have never occurred to me because he didn't really look like himself in that. Mm-mm. But still. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We watched a lot of Pee-wee's Great Adventure or Big Adventure. And I feel like the l- line that is sticking out to me that might fit Phil Hartman's Romantic relationships is I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. <laughs> when she says she wants to go with him. Yeah, I do remember that. That's so funny. <laughs> he started to get more and more small roles. He started to get voiceover work. And it was remarked that Phil, the man of a thousand voices, hid behind his characters and used them to keep people at arm's reach. Chandler Bing knows a thing or two about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> his friends and exes would say that there is some part of Phil that's very hard to reach and he's not very vulnerable. 
1979, Phil, like most other men in Los Angeles, was on the dating game. Did not know that about him either until this. Man, nope. the 70s. <laughs> I know. One person Wild. commented that every Los Angeles male was on the dating game at some point. That included George Foreman, Gregory Hines, Steve Martin, and let us not forget, Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. Phil was even selected by The Bachelorette, but she stood him up. What a bitch. That she's kicking herself. Yeah, she asked like, she was like, if you were a road sign, a warning road sign, what would it be? And he was like, slippery when wet. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> clever Yahtzee. It was clever, but also like, oh, oh, it's disgusting and very <laughs> totally vivid. Disgusting. But still, but yeah, she picked him. He was super cute. Yeah, I mean, not that she saw him, but I mean, it's worth a rumble, don't you think? Check think it out so. and see what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't know. Plus, he has that great voice, and even if you're just like listening to his voice from like across the dating game screen, yeah. I mean, at the very least, get yourself a steak dinner, lady. Yeah, yeah, very true. She just stood him up. Yeah, that's that's a waste of a date. Girl's got to eat. But then in December of 1982, Phil met and married Lisa Strain. Someone in the last days of Phil Hartman made the statement, by the time you realize Phil's not marriage material, you were already married to him. Yikes. <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be like, oh man, nobody told me this guy's not marriage material. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me that. Well, but so she met him and married him within one month. Something like that. I don't remember exactly how long it was. Yeah, it was was pretty, pretty quick. I mean, if you put in a little extra time, though, maybe you wouldn't need someone to tell you that. That's true. That's what, yeah, right? Like, take a minute, take a breath. Hey, hey, when you know, you know. Okay, but how'd that work out for her? I'm just saying (laughs) how to work out for her. (laughs) Yeah. How does it work out most of the time? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people who got married really quickly and they like, it's the love of their life. Yeah. I have too. Get it. I have too. Yeah. I'm a little more nervous about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Put in your research. Mm -hmm. Terrell is a a slow roast, like a crock pot. She likes to take her time. She's not like a zookie. Yeah. (laughs) That's what people call her old crock pot. (laughs) <laughs> Torella Crockpot Brother. <laughs> if this is your first episode, d- just stop because you're going to be so mad. Hey, that's why he wants to, your husband only wants to throw up in the same pot he's been throwing up in. Oh my God. Because you're a Crockpot. Because you're a Crockpot. Oh my God. So what a romantic guy he is. He just I know. He brought it around without even knowing it. Drunk I was like, am I, poetry. Am I the bucket? I I <laughs> guess yeah, thanks. I okay. Thanks for not throwing up in other ones, I guess. <laughs> All right. So Phil and Lisa's honeymoon period did not last very long. And within a few weeks of their wedding. Lisa said their relationship changed. Now she was, she said, just the wife. Phil was no longer paying her attention and would say things to her that were almost cruel. She told the documentary that once Phil told her that she needed to go have her own life, she was a black hole that no one would be able to fill. Well, that's Uh, very hurtful. Yeah. Very hurtful. Ouch. It's just like, I mean, but you can kind of see, like, I don't condone that at all. It's not cool. But you can also kind of see like 
how on he is when he's on, it's almost like he probably needs this like, I just need to do me for a while kind of thing. I don't know. And like, as a, a spouse, you're like, okay, but now I need your attention. Like we need to have this, you know, and he just, he didn't know how to do both. It's well, like. and I'm sure it's really difficult as a spouse because it sounds like he was totally fine with it in the dating phase. He could show up then. And then it's like, as yeah, soon but as they're he, not, yeah, it's not every day, all day. Yeah. Right. Cause like, yep. As somebody who struggles with like anxiety and depression my entire life, like, when I'm at work and I like put on this like scene for the kids and you know, I'm perky for them. And then I come home and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but so, you like, know that about I yourself. I can understand it. And you wouldn't yeah, but bring I'm still somebody not gonna else. Tell somebody else that they're a black hole. Yeah. Right. Like that, and that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 And she called him, she described him as two completely separate people. And I can, I could see that. Cause it's like, He's this, and it's got to be so hard as a spouse too to see him give everything, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, man, you're talking to people, you're having a good time, you're laughing, you're enjoying yourself, and then you come home and it's like, I'm a black hole. I mean, yeah, that's hurtful. That that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got to be really hard to like handle that difference of a person. Yeah, and like, he, I mean, that whiplash. Mm-hmm. She like. I'm not trying to in any way say that anything that Bryn ends up doing is okay because it's absolutely 100% not. Mm -hmm. It's just you can see where some things might build, you know, some tensions might build and things like that. It's And that's where divorce comes in handy. It sure does, doesn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It sure does. Yeah. So people day, of course, end up not staying together. They didn't even make it to their first wedding anniversary. No, they, oh, they did. did make it. And then it was like, it's, it comes right out. Now. Okay. Okay. So she recalled the moment she realized that their marriage was actually over. She said they'd gone to Santa Barbara for their first wedding anniversary. She tried to make the trip romantic. She got all dolled up in what she called trashy lingerie and hopped up on the bed. And Phil looked at her and said, must you really? And she was just like, guess not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that and seeing that interview with her and feeling just so sad for her. Like, I know. That's so awful. Well, yeah. Must you really? They divorced in May of 85, which was just about a year and a half after they got married. But Phil was not single for long and he met Bryn Omdahl on a blind date. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It's just interesting to me. So I heard that his friend set him up with Bryn, right? And can you imagine being what the friends were thinking where they're like, look, you know, you've had two marriages that didn't really work out. You kind of jump right into stuff. We have a date for you. Like, (laughs) no, that's probably the last thing that he needs right now. But no, whatever. Yeah. But also like, think about on the other side, like if you were the girl and they're like, I have this perfect guy for you. He's been divorced yeah. twice. Then you'd be like, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Hold yeah. up. I, I can't yeah. marry Ross. It's like what my mom used to do. She's like, I know this perfect guy for you. He is gay <laughs> and has a brain tumor, but he's perfect for you. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, all right, mom. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it's going to go Not my way, kidding. mom. Thanks, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's like, just give it a chance. Just date <laughs> yeah, him just for like a, a year or two, see how it goes. <laughs> and that's what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they exactly. put a mom on him. Yeah. <laughs> so Bren Omdahl was actually born Vicky Joe Omdahl on April 11th, 1958 in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Yep. I'm just going to just barrel yep. through it. Her parents, Donald, Donnie, Jean, an engineer, and Constance Connie Faye Omdahl. Everybody's got 19 names in this. Um, Connie Faye Omdahl. That's cute. Yes. <laughs> what about Vicky Joe and Connie Faye? <laughs> oh it's my like God, but they're Junction. Connie and Donnie. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The mom and dad are Connie uh, and Donnie. Earl and Pearl. That one is cute though. <laughs> So they had four children, Vicky Joe, Greg, Catherine, and Debbie. Why did they do her like that? Greg, Catherine, Debbie, and Vicky Joe. Vicky Joe. Vicky Joe. Oh, gosh. Not even Victoria. Vicky. Vicky. Vicky Joe. As a child, Vicky Joe was described as funny and creative. Her brother said she always had lots of friends and she was artistic. She also played the piano. Vicky Joe was pretty, but in the words of her high school principal, just another student, an ordinary young lady. Oh, ouch. That's the most ouch. hurtful thing you could say to Vicky Joe Omdahl. She ain't no crockpot, if you know what I'm saying. So, no. well. <laughs> so now I look like a crockpot. Now, it, this is the episode of It's Always Sunny where Dee just gradually becomes the ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm just There's a, a drawing of a crockpot over. She's built like a crockpot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, because she didn't want to be just another student, Vicky Joe dropped out of high school. She said, fuck that. Then now call me student principal. It's <laughs> like, I... Now I'm just another yeah, exactly. person. I'm just another person living in the world. Yeah. So after she left school, she quickly 
married Douglas Torfin. So she's 19 at the time. A telephone operator, but unsurprisingly, this relationship was short-lived. After her failed marriage, Vicky Joe became Bryn and began modeling in Minneapolis before moving to California, hoping to really take off. She was a Catalina swimsuit model and began taking acting lessons. She even briefly dated Rob Reiner, but throughout everything, she was insecure. Mm. I feel like that's pretty common, right? Models, people who like are pretty for a living are very often very insecure. Yes. Yes. A friend of hers told People Magazine that she was always looking to find herself. When I met her, she was Vicky. Then she became Vicky Joe. Then Brendan. Then Bryn. I'd laugh what? and say, who are you this week? Where does where do all these names Brendan. come from? Like, where did she get Bryn? I haven't... I don't think we've ever heard that. She probably just liked it. I could not give myself... It's like giving yourself a nickname. Like, I don't know if I could just pick a name out of a hat. You know what I mean? Like, oh. And if I'm going off of what I loved when I was little, it would be Amy. And I don't know why. Yeah, well, actually, we I would say we probably did give ourselves names in the chat rooms because you couldn't give your real name. That was weird. Yeah, true. I usually went with like uh, Samantha or Tabitha because I loved the oh. <laughs> Those yes. were my go-tos. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what mine was. It was, uh, it was not Aleka. <laughs> Aleka, quit it. <laughs> I know your screen name was Big T Rex. I know that. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Is this a porno Which site?" Because <laughs> it no. was three X's. Well, because Big T Rex was oh, already taken. It. <laughs> it's like diaper nine one one, like diaper emergency. <laughs> 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 yeah, I of course was so sheltered that I didn't know what triple X was when I picked it. So there's right. that. Yeah. So her insecurity would be very present throughout her life and partially contribute to her actions. All right, so let's get into Phil and Bryn. On that fateful blind date, Phil followed his typical format and fell almost instantly into full-blown love. (laughs) Oddly, though, a friend would say that the fact that Bryn had dated Rob Reiner would make her more attractive to Phil. Yeah. What, because he's like, because he's more famous, like, oh, she could get somebody famous? It's like yeah. a status okay. symbol, yeah. However, like most 60s, 70s models, Bren had a problem with cocaine and alcohol. She would enter rehab multiple times, but none seemed to help her successfully kick the habit. While she was sober, when they met, that didn't last. Mike Thomas, who wrote You Might Remember Me from, which is an article about Phil Hartman in 2014, he said that when Phil met Bren, he may well have been at his most vulnerable state in years. His second marriage's ending had him shaken up and his performance career wasn't taking off. Omdahl was strikingly beautiful and the affections of a statuesque blonde may have bolstered Hartman's deflated self-image and their relationship was bumpy from the get-go. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't need to be set up right now. No, he needs to take a minute. Yeah, he needs to heal. I need to be by myself. Mm-hmm. I just need to be with me for a while. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, these are two people that they need to find their self-confidence because they're feeding off of each other. And it like, it almost just kicks off that toxic codependent dynamic. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that they need to just sit back, listen to Demi Lovato's I Wonder When I Love Me Is Enough and just let the healing take place. Yeah. Phil assured Bren that if she stuck with him, she'd get roles to help boost her acting career. Their relationship seemed to be built on wobbly foundations. 
He thought she was beautiful and would be great to have on his arm. And she thought that hitching her wagon to his star would lead to her becoming a star in her own right. That's like, those are, I don't know of any better reasons to marry somebody, really. I mean, you know, well, I mean, mutual. <laughs> a lot of people marry people. It's like a business transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. At first, they seemed like a rom- loving romantic couple. They seemed great on the surface, but not long after their relationship began, did it reveal its toxicity. The couple were frequently fighting. And when they weren't fighting, they were making up and then they'd start the cycle all over again. Then in 1986, Phil got the opportunity that would launch his career into the stratosphere. Phil got the opportunity to audition for a little show called Saturday Night Live. You guys might have heard of it. <laughs> I've um, never heard of it. <laughs> thank you. So his audition went great, and he was hired for the 1986-87 season. You can actually watch the audition online, and it is, it's a sight. It's wild. Shut your mouth. I did not uh, know you could do that. I want to watch that. Yeah, I linked it in here for oh, you guys good. to okay. watch it. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> So SNL started in 75, 75, but in the 80s, it started getting a reputation that it was struggling. The 70s SNL cast of like Chevy Chase, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Bill Murray, Lorraine Newman, Al Franken, all those people, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, they were almost like untouchable, untouchable in their comedy skills. But they had moved on or in some cases were no longer with us, as in John Belushi and then Gilda Radner died in... 89. The new era of SNL had yet to impress anyone. But then in 1986, uh, that season brought Phil Hartman. And he was joined by Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn, Jan Hooks, John Levitz, Dennis Miller, and Kevin Neeland. Hmm. So 38-year-old Phil quickly became known as The Glue on Saturday Night Live. Lorne Michaels would say his nickname was The Glue. He kind of held the show together He gave to everybody and demanded very little. He was very low maintenance. And Phil loved being on SNL. Julia Sweeney, who joined in 1990, said that she often got paired with Phil as his wife and got jokingly jealous when Jan Hooks got paired as his wife. (laughs) Uh, She was the one who paid Pat. I love Pat. Oh, yeah. I was like, I feel like I know who that is. Yeah, she's the androgynous. And so like they always played on like trying to figure out if it was a man or a woman. <laughs> yes. I used to play that all the time. It was so great. <laughs> it was great. So Phil did impressions of Johnny Cash, Jim Baker, Jesus, mm. Barbara Bush, which is hilarious, <laughs> Frank Sinatra, Ronald Reagan, Ed McMahon, and most prominently, Bill Clinton. He's the best Bill. Yeah. He also created characters that became some of the more popular on the show, like the unfrozen caveman lawyer. Which is hilarious. Have you ever seen that? I don't recognize it. He's like, he's like your world with all its lights and sounds. (laughs) It's really funny because he's a cake man. (laughs) It was said that he had a knack for seedy, self-important characters, but they were still lovable and fun. In the fall of 1987, Phil and Bryn got married in a very, very small ceremony in New York. Friends of Phil's were not thrilled with this, and his friends from the Groundlings recalled that he had told her that he was going to propose to Bryn. Just one friend, not 
many. I said friends, I think. <laughs> and she was like, oh God, no. The friend was asked to leave Phil's office and she said they didn't speak for two years. She also said it's the first time and I think the last time I ever saw him angry. Bryn made her presence known in the SNL building. She would come in wearing bright red, revealing clothes and flirted with the writers with Phil right there. She had seen Phil's SNL gig as a way for her to get screen time as well. In fact, in the opening credits of SNL, they let her be the blonde woman that Phil is talking to with her back to the screen. But she she would try to turn her head and get FaceTime and the director would be like, no, don't do that. There's like that episode of It's Always Sunny when they're all trying to be the extras in that like zombie apocalypse movie and they're just mm. supposed to be dead laying there. And when it goes over D, she's like, give me brains or whatever. And they're like, stop, who let her talk again? Stop talking. And they finally <laughs> get her out of there because she won't just be do what she's supposed to do there. That like when so Joey, reminds me of that. When oh, Joey was on that, in that outbreak movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme um, movie, yeah. And he was like, oh, <laughs> like, kept like, kept m- making it really dramatic. And they finally just made him dead. In yeah. a body bag. <laughs> yeah. like, so I don't know, like part of, like you kind of feel bad for Bren at, you know, at times because you're like, you know, you see this pattern and as a spouse, it's not easy to be married to him. At the same time, it does seem like he, she used him as a stepping stone almost. But he said, I can get you roles. Well, that's true. I can make you famous. Yeah, that's true. That's true. In 1988, the Hartmans welcomed their first child, a boy named Sean Edward Hartman. Phil was over the moon. He loved being a dad and there are home videos of him being silly and playing Simon Says with them. Phil said in an interview, what makes me happiest? Well, without a question, it's being a father. Everyone was happy for Phil and Bryn, including Phil's ex-wife, Lisa. She and Phil had remained friends after their divorce, so she sent the new parents a card to congratulate them. Basically, her card said, much love, Aunt Lisa. Let me know if you need a babysitter. And her well wishes and offer to babysit were met with a very different reaction than anyone expected. Bryn wrote her a letter, two pages, front and back. (laughs) Not 18. And back. No. So it's not, but still. and back. (laughs) Yeah, that snapped at Lisa to stay away from her and her family or she'd kill her. Whoa. That's a problem. Yeah, just for that, like she was ready to kill somebody. Yeah, like, I guess it's his ex-wife, but I don't know. It's completely harmless. Like she was just being nice. (laughs) Yeah, like. She was just being like, congrats. Let me know if you need a night out. Yeah, and even if you don't like her and you feel like there's something else going on or whatever, you could just say nothing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Not like, well, I'm going to kill you. Well, I have have said was nothing. Yeah, I've experienced a similar situation. Not the same, like I always say. It's exactly the same in the fact that it's not anything like that. But, right. A guy that I was dating, he had an ex-girlfriend. But the thing, the difference is she wasn't very nice to me not one time I ever hung out with her. So when I got a message or a gift or something, I read it very much like a, oh, she's just trying to be shitty to me. It was never met with like, oh, that's very nice because I knew who she was as a person. Yeah. So it's like, that's the difference. And also when I did get these things, I just said, okay, I'm just going to shut up because I'm not going to say anything nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I learned from Bambi, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Anything at all. That's why I'm quiet a lot of the time. Mm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just 
It's just like, I don't have anything good to say. Yeah. So Bren was like, look, I never want to hear from you again. And you better not ever contact me or Phil again, which is pretty, I mean, it's pretty intense. So Lisa was like, goodness. I cannot believe this. So she calls Phil. Oh, Swanee. Yeah. And Phil was like, oh, you should have seen the letter she wanted to send you. It's like, that's not helping. That's not helping. I can't believe that he just was like, yeah, I mean, if that's what you're, if you're set on it, send it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, And he was just like, I know, Bryn's intense. You know, she is like, whatever. Excuse the behavior. Yeah. So SNL at this point is filming in New York. They were being based in California. So they'd go back and forth between their apartment in New York and their house in Encino. And Phil was like, by this point, a superstar on SNL. Everybody knows him. He won an Emmy as part of the writing team for SNL. His Bill Clinton impression specifically was getting a great deal of airtime. And he was hitting up the late night talk shows as Bill. In the early 90s, Phil became a full-fledged American citizen, but was still a frequent visitor to Canada. In 1990, he also began working on The Simpsons as the voices of Troy McClure. Yes. (laughs) Lionel (laughs) Hutz and Lyle Landley. I don't don't watch The Simpsons, so I'm just guessing here. (laughs) (laughs) I put clips of each one on the side, so if you just want to check them, you're welcome to. I love Troy McClure. He's my favorite. In 1992, the Hartmans welcomed a second child that was actually announced on air on SNL. Bergen Anika Hartman immediately stole her father's heart. He called a friend and told them she's the most beautiful baby in the world while getting choked up. This is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to say it because that's who we are as people. I'm sure Bryn was like, I don't have any problems with delivering on air. If that's something that you guys need me to do... (laughs) I'm sure I will do honestly. it. Yeah. 100%. She would have been like, I mean, I'm in labor. I'm I can come over if you need me. I'm to. on the way. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm super close. It's really no problem. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm already I'm going to have the baby anyway, you know what I'm saying? So it's like here or there. <laughs> so yeah. might as well just do it on air, right? <laughs> Which one? Yeah. Get the most bang for your buck. Exactly. Yes. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. So 
while Phil Starr was rising fast, his marriage was struggling, which I don't think any of us would be surprised at this point because we're seeing a pattern here. So Phil and Bryn had always been rocky, but Bryn specifically had been pretty unpredictable. Bryn reportedly showed up at the SNL studio once in a black cocktail dress, and Phil went out to meet her down a long corridor. And despite the length of the corridor, people could see and hear them fighting. Their body language alone indicated anger. A former writer for SNL would tell the Last Days documentary that she walked into a bathroom in the studio and Bryn was just snorting Coke, which is why I have a sign in my guest bathroom that says, please don't do Coke in the bathroom. <laughs> well, if Did you don't have the sign. Yeah, how are they supposed to know? Exactly. Yeah, I definitely thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said Bryn was very casual about it and even offered her some and she passed. She was like, uh, you know what? Not right now. Thank you. Yeah, like, actually, I'm, I'm at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm supposed to be funny right now, not like frantic. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Bryn was very good at getting it to Phil at just the right time. Typically, before a scene, Phil would say the Lord's Prayer to calm himself. But before rehearsals, he had a different, unwanted routine. Bryn would typically catch him right before rehearsals, and they'd fight, and she'd just suck the life right out of him. A makeup artist that worked on Phil when they were on SNL said that once Phil came to the chair and said that his wife was threatening divorce because of his schedule. She was pissed that he wasn't home more and wanted him to adjust his schedule. His schedule not only included SNL, but it also included some commercials for McDonald's and Cheetos, as well as an appearance or as appearances on late night TV shows. So he was on Letterman alone 13 times and he had roles in movies. Like he's got a very busy career at this point. Yeah, but also, who's making the money in this relationship, Bren? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the McDonald's commercial alone netted him $1.2 million. Yeah. Wow. Just switch your schedule, though, because I, I need you here. It's tough. Yeah. So Phil loved his work, and he loved SNL, but he was getting attention, and Bryn wasn't. Bryn's desire to become famous in her own right was something that she wasn't going to give up on. And she was constantly on Phil to help get her roles. And he's like, I got you one that showed your back at the beginning of SNL. And Faceback is going to be a thing later. So then people can look you up on Faceback and they'll know it was you. They'll know exactly who it is. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if she had been getting roles, if she had been getting famous, I wonder if their marriage would have had so many problems. Mm-hmm. She was very yeah. laser focused on that. I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like she's one of those people that was never going to be happy with anything. But I also think that maybe if she was getting roles, maybe she would be at least leaving him alone for most of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Phil was on the Howard Stern show and he brought Bryn along to give her some exposure. But apparently that was not enough for her. Meanwhile, Phil's income was allowing him to splurge on grown man toys. He bought Bentleys, Ferraris, Mercedes, multiple boats, and he even had a private plane. And these purchases were another thing that always kept him away from home. He would go to Catalina Island with his boats. He'd fly his plane. And Bryn wanted him home doing errands and her honey list, I guess. I'm sure she just wanted to be around him, too. I mean, you marry somebody because you like the person, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... And like, I get it, like wanting to have him around, but at the same time, like he might not want to be around if she's just picking fights all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a cycle and they both like, yeah, would annoy each other kind of, or like get at each other. Yes. Yes. So in 1994, Phil took a major step and left SNL after eight seasons. 
And on the last episode, the cast would do a version of So Long Farewell from The Sound of Music. And in the end, it was just Phil and Chris Farley on stage with Phil singing goodbye to Chris and the world watching. The world loved him, but Bryn, Bryn was jealous and she was so insecure and still wanted roles. Bryn's brother said that Bryn would tell him that Phil would tell her that maybe he could ask around about getting her some roles and things that he was working on. But every time she asked if he had, Phil would be like, oh, well, I forgot. Again, sound. I think he's like, I don't, I don't need to work with you also. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Or maybe he had asked and they had said, no, Not she's always say causing trouble. Face. Yeah. And so he's like, oh gosh, I, I keep forgetting to ask about that because he or, doesn't want to tell her the truth. Could be right. like Chano or Joey. He's not right for the part. <laughs> the itchy like, bomb. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe she was causing scenes and all this stuff. Maybe she wasn't a great actress. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It could have been all kinds feeling. of things. I don't know. I mean, she so, got some little tiny roles. Mm-hmm. Well, and also like, she was hot shit in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm but saying? You're like, in Cali now. And then she, yeah. And then she goes to California and she's like, hello, I'm the hottest model in fucking Minnesota and nothing against models in Minnesota, but like, there's a whole lot more in California. So it's like, like big fish, you know, pond. yeah, you've got to, there's, there's a lot more competition. It's just, you know, it's hard to just be another tall blonde, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of Bryn said that Bryn wanted her own identity. She also said that Bryn had multiple plastic surgeries and their nanny claimed that some of the surgeries were Phil's idea because he didn't like her face being round. Did she have a round face? I thought it was very... Well, she didn't at the end. I'd call it more of an almond shape. I felt like very a very long face. Yeah, I thought long. She's yeah. tall. She's lanky almost. Yeah. She was tall and skinny. Like, I don't know about a round... Anything on her. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, except for the obvious. After Phil left SNL, he worked on developing a variety show and the writers he was working with weren't thrilled when he said he wanted to give Bryn a part on the show. The writers were like, but Jan Hooks, you guys have chemistry (laughs) and like a history on SNL. Plus she's funny and like, we know that. And then they were like, is Bryn even funny? And Phil's answer wasn't very encouraging. He was adamant about having her on, but he said she was funny in her own way. She just gets lots of like little jabs. You can't have two super funny people in a marriage though, right? Like, Yeah, that's true. If it's just like on, on, it would be like, uh, and then they compete with each other to be funniest. It'd be be super annoying, yeah. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Phil also talked about creating a sitcom with a role for Bryn, but neither the sitcom nor the variety show would even make it to the pilot stage because Phil got offered a role on a show called News Radio. Bryn claimed he was doing this show because he didn't want to work with her, and she probably wasn't wrong. Friends of Phil's would call Bryn an unsettling force, which is not the best way to be described. No. Right. But I do think, I mean, it sounded like he was trying his damnedest to get her work. Yeah, I mean, like he was he was going to do those two shows. The only reason he didn't is because he got the news radio. And like, mm-hmm. 
that seems like a more established, it's not established, but like a more, more serious thing than your own variety show. Or your yeah, own just sitcoms. starting it out. Yeah, exactly. But it seems like Bryn was in such a place where she just couldn't see that. And she's like, oh, great. He did this on uh-huh. purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, what the Gottmans call one of the four horsemen. It's contempt. Like there's four things they say in a marriage that like are 85, 90% predictors of divorce. And like you take every single thing that the other person does as like if, you know, they leave a dish in the sink because they're like, oh, I'm running out. I'll come back and get it in a little bit. You're like, he knows that bothers me. He did that on purpose just to make me do his dishes. I know I've said this about my husband before. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like when you take it that way and not just like, he probably just forgot. He's not trying to fuck your whole day up, you know? It's like he's not even thinking about that, but it's just how it comes out or that perception. That's where she is at this point. Yeah. Everything he does is to fuck my career up. He's trying to hold me down. News Radio turned out to be a success. It started in 1995 with co-stars Vicki Lewis, Andy Dick, Maura Tierney, Joe Rogan, and Dave Foley. Like, that's a good cast of characters. Mm -hmm. News Radio was a sitcom about a radio station and the goings-on within. Phil played an egomaniacal show host, Bill McNeil. The character was another of Phil's smarmy repertoire. But just like the others, he was somehow lovable. He was making $50,000 per episode. That ain't bad. (sighs) That ain't bad at all. In 1997, Bryn's substance abuse came back to the forefront. While she didn't seem to have really stopped, there may have been like periods of sobriety in there. However, on Mother's Day of that year, Bryn went out. And when she came back, she was very intoxicated and not in a good place at all. So Phil told her that he wanted her to go to rehab. And she went and stayed the whole time. But when she returned, she wasn't sober for very long. The couple were either at a party or having a party. I can't remember which one it was. And Bren found Andy Dick at the party. Andy was a drug addict at the time, and he openly admits that. But he claims that he had no idea that Bren was an addict. When she came up to him to ask for a bump, as they call it, he said, sure, and didn't think anything else about it. They were at a party and it's the 90s. He had no clue that cocaine was an issue for her. Yeah. And I mean, why would you? Like, especially if she's one of those like keeping it together in in front of you kind of people. Like a functioning drug addict kind of. Yeah. Well, and also you can't expect drug addicts to stop other people from, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They can't, they're struggling to hold themselves together. Like, let's not put other yeah. people's sobriety on their shoulders, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he gets blamed for it, too. I'm like, but he, it's not his responsibility to keep her sober. Yeah, exactly. If she was, like, grown asleep adults. in her bed at home and he drove to her house and shoved coke up her nose, that's one thing, but... Mm-hmm. But no, she sought him out. Exactly. Come on. Phil was furious at Bryn's relapse. Nothing said whether they were, whether he knew that Andy gave it to her or like if he did know how he felt about that, nothing indicated that he knew. Phil told her that he was instituting a zero tolerance policy for her drug use. Bryn went to rehab for a couple of days, but left because she wanted to be with her kids. Based on everything, 
said by friends and family, Bren was a great mom and she loved being with her kids. So this trip to rehab was just too long to be away from them in her mind. And I think that's ridiculous because wouldn't it be better to be away from them for a little while and get sober than to be high with them all the time? Um, I think in a normal mindset, yeah. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, but I think in her mindset, she's probably like, I can get it under control. Yeah. You know, I can do this on my totally own. Totally got this. And you got to think too, like if you, if that cloud of drug use and alcohol is lifted, you have a lot of time to feel major guilt. And, you know, I mean, yeah, that's what comes with all of that. So I'm sure she was like, oh my gosh, look what I'm doing to my kids and all this stuff. And I'm sure it just like, she was riddled with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, I totally get like, they're mostly self-medicating, not mostly, but a lot of people who are doing drugs and drinking and doing things like that are self-medicating in a way. So once you like take that away and you make them feel the feelings, sometimes yeah. that messes them up. Yeah. But I mean, you're absolutely right. It would have been way better for her to just stick it out because she would have been a way better mom coming out of it. But for sure. Right. Yeah. So Vicki Lewis said she started to notice that Phil would come into work looking really disheveled, which wasn't like him. And she started noticing scratches on his face. Vicky wasn't the only friend noticing these things. Phil had also been secretly visiting his ex-wife, Lisa, not in like a romantic way, but he, they were friends. But as we remember, Bryn does not like Lisa. So he also had to sneak because Bryn was having him followed by a private investigator. So he would have to park streets away, wear a hat and sunglasses, and then like sneak over to her house. Because the PI was because Bryn thought that he and his friend, Britt, who was a guy, that they were like taking girls on the boat and like all that. But Britt always said that Phil was faithful. But either way, Bryn had them followed. Bryn thought that Phil was living a rap video. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So once he went over to Lisa's for lunch and they were talking about Bryn's outbursts and physical attacks on Phil, Lisa asked, she doesn't have a gun, does she? And Phil told her that, yeah, Bryn has a gun for protection. And Linda quipped, protection from what? You live in Encino. Yeah, (laughs) come on. (laughs) From what? What do you need protection for? Even with Bryn's tirades and spying, Phil's career was doing well. Since he was considered SNL royalty, he was invited back to host twice, which is considered like top honors. Mm-hmm. Phil was in movies and voicing Simpsons characters and Bren, Bren was getting roles. She was a waitress in North for like a second. Mm-hmm. And then she had a bit part in 30 Rock from the Sun. Oh, Third Rock so, from yeah. the Sun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I saw 30 Rock. Oh, I was like, yes, they're both, both great. Yes. I just put them both together. Yeah. You know, the aliens that work at 30 Rock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Phil told his friends that Bren just wasn't cut out to be an actress. But Phil would never, would never say that to Bren. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. First of all, he was non-confrontational and did whatever he could to avoid it. He would smoke weed. He'd take a plane to Catalina Island, or he'd take his plane. That's right, because he has his own plane. <laughs> right, get it right. <laughs> so he'd taken Bren to Catalina Island once, and the weather was terrible, and she'd gotten sick. And a friend of Phil's said that he probably did that on purpose so that she wouldn't want to come anymore. Catalina Island, 
was somewhere that was quiet and there weren't a lot of people around. So Phil could just enjoy nature and not be like Phil Hartman for a while. Right. Yeah. Uh, he referred to his worship of nature as almost a religion. Mm-hmm. Bren did not see it that way. Bren thought he was distant and that he didn't want to spend time with her. Bren's self-esteem took another hit when she turned 40 in April of 1998. Around this time, she was given an antidepressant, Zoloft, by Sean, their nine-year-old's doctor. She was given Zoloft by the pediatrician. I don't think that's the thing that's supposed to happen. That's not how that works. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah, because she's not a child. No, they're not not supposed to. (laughs) Was that like... It's like illegal for them to write scripts for people that are not in their like range. Right. Yeah, if they're not your patient, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, was that something that like she was trying to make herself feel more like a child because she just turned 40 and it was tough and she was like, I'm going to start seeing a pediatrician. (laughs) Well, she should have gotten braces. Why didn't she just get braces? Exactly. I mean, Ross still saw his pediatrician, so... That's true. I guess. Right? I guess it happens. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 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 So in the 90s, Zoloft was kind of newer. But of course, now it's more commonplace to treat major depressive disorders, panic disorders, PTSD, anxiety, OCD, and premenstrual dysphoric disorder. But Bryn was pairing her Zoloft with cocaine and alcohol. According to drugpolicy.org, which I've heard is a no-no, Yeah, I mean, it sounds very, very not good to me. No. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But according to drugpolicy.org, using antidepressants such as Prozac, Zoloft, et cetera, with cocaine can increase the risk of serotonin syndrome, which is a condition when the brain is overloaded with serotonin. This can lead to excessive sweating, tremors, increased heartbeat, and could also lead to seizures, shaking, and shivering, and sometimes death. Phil told his friend Wink about Bren's drug and alcohol abuse and that they fought all the time. Specifically, they fought more at night and to get her to leave him alone, he would go to their room and get in bed. Then he'd pretend to fall asleep or actually fall asleep and eventually she'd stop. By the next morning, she'd have calmed down and everything would be quiet again for a while. That is like awful. Can you imagine that being a daily occurrence? Like, geez, no. And- I mean, no wonder I would never want to go home if that's what you are looking at mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, right. That's supposed to be your safe space. Right. And Bryn was telling people that Phil wouldn't give her a divorce, even though she'd been trying to get one for two years. But all of Phil's friends were like, no, he wanted to get out. This was not, he wasn't trapping her in this marriage in any way. Mm-hmm. Bryn's brother, Greg, disagrees with all of this and says that this isn't at all what happened. He said that he talked to both Bryn and Phil frequently and that they were going to a counselor that was helping them work through their issues. Greg says that the friends who say that they had been fighting more in the past six months are not accurate. I feel like Greg is in denial. I think a little bit, yeah. Because everybody else says that. Yeah. Everybody. Literally everybody. He's the only one that says, no. Yeah. And I think it would be different if it was one of Phil's brothers or something, but for it to be Bryn's brother, I'm like, yeah. He kind of has her back, probably. Yeah. And he's literally the only person saying that. Everybody else is saying, no, it's bad. And like friends of Phil's even said that Bryn tended to get physically violent, which we've heard about scratches on his face. People at work Mm -hmm. are seeing this. Like we're seeing all the signs of that. 
and that Phil would have to like physically restrain her. And Bryn's behavior even caused their housekeeper to quit just 10 days before their deaths. So, and I mean, she's increasing, she's almost going on a bender at this point, it sounds like too. So, I mean, she's just like ramping up. Mm-hmm. On May 4th, Phil would attend his very last press junket for his movie, Small Soldiers. The movie would release in July of 1998, but that would be after Bryn had already murdered Phil and shot herself. Man, Small Soldiers is such a good movie. He didn't even get to see it. On May 27th, 1998, Phil and his friend Britt were coming home from one of their usual trips. Phil dropped Britt off and headed back to his house to relieve the nanny for the night. Bryn had just gone out with a friend and Phil was on daddy duty. Bryn had gone out with her friend to Buca de Beppo around 7, 7.30. I hope she wore stretchy pants because they serve family style there. She's going to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Oh, yeah. Well, and she'd just been there for her 40th birthday. Oh, apparently. yeah, true. They were just about a block away from the house and Bryn complained to her friend that she didn't feel valued and that Phil wasn't concerned with her career and her aspirations. Seems like Bryn is very much like... Yeah, I wonder if her friends were like, oh my God, this again. He doesn't care about my career. He doesn't care about my career. And like, no offense, but like, what career? I mean, you had two small bit parts. Okay. All right. Uh, I get, she really wanted it, but it's like... At some point, you're just gonna have to come to terms. It's not gonna happen for you. Yeah, but yeah, especially when you're 40. Like, as as terrible as it is, because I don't think 40 is old or anything. But in the in the Hollywood scene, 40, you're like the grandmother in things now. Like, uh huh. It's -hmm. ridiculous. But if you're not starting anything at 40, usually it's very rare. Right. Yeah. 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 But she also claimed that Phil just wanted her taking care of the kids and he didn't care what she wanted. Bryn's friend said that a couple times she would go to the bathroom and when she came out, Bryn was on a payphone and she appeared to be agitated. Her friend decided to call it a night a little while later, but Bryn wasn't ready to go home. Unwilling to stop her night out, Bryn drove to the house of her friend, Ron Douglas. They weren't in any sort of affair or anything, but they had had a relationship in the past. Now they were just friends and apparently close enough friends that Bryn felt comfortable going to his house randomly late at night, drunk off of her ass. But Phil can't still speak to his ex-wife that he is just friends yeah. with either. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, okay. Yeah. It was about 10.15 p.m. when Bryn arrived and she and Ron had a few drinks before Bryn once again complained about her relationship with Phil. This is very crazy, stupid love where Steve Carell is like, David Lindhagen cuckolded me. He cuckolded me. He's like looking for anybody that will look in his direction to be like, listen to my sad sack story here. Yeah, This is what's happening. Yes. So she said she didn't like how much time he was spending with his friend Britt. And Ron said that she seemed hopped up and didn't want to go home. Bryn finally left Ron's house around 1245 a.m. She drives home, hammered, slam ham drunk. Mm -hmm. And the kids are... 100% 100% definitely in bed, but Sean remembers doors slamming and people yelling, and Sean is the son, right? So specifically, mm-hmm. he heard someone yelling, sorry, sorry, sorry. There was one source that said Bren argued with Phil because he was angry she had hit their daughter while Bren was drunk. According to the source, Phil threatened to leave her if she started using drugs again or if she hurt the kids, and then he went to bed. However, since no one was home other than the kids, it's hard to believe that we would know what specifically they argued about that night. Perhaps this was a previous argument that was added to the narrative of the night. 
But then around 3 a.m. with the Smith & Wesson 35 caliber, Bryn shoots Phil three times as he lay in bed, once between the eyes, once in his throat, and once in his chest. Ron Douglas later tells police that Bryn was back at the house around 3.45 a.m. still very drunk. By now, he was over her bullshit and was not in the mood to deal with whatever she had to complain about. When Ron opened the door, Bryn walked inside and said, don't yell at me, Phil yells at me all the time. Then she told Ron that she killed Phil and she doesn't know why. And at first, like we said, Ron was like, I don't believe you. You are just, you know, drunk and all the things. But he would later tell police that Bryn was prone to dramatic and emotional outbursts. But then she was digging in her purse, looking for something, and the gun just tumbled out. Ron quickly got the gun and he put it in the trunk of his car for safety. At 5.45 a.m., they leave Ron's in separate cars and head to the Hartman's house. Bryn took Ron into the house and into the master bedroom, and that's where Ron sees Phil and is finally convinced that Bryn did kill him. Ron stepped out of the bedroom and called 911. Now I have a question. So Phil's home. She goes to Ron's house. Are the kids just at home with their dead father sleeping? Yeah. Mm -hmm. While Ron was on the phone with the 911 dispatcher, Bryn was on a different phone in the bedroom and she closed the bedroom door. Ron tried to open the door, but it was locked. He could hear Bryn screaming and crying on the other side and talking to people on the phone. Bryn was calling her family and her friends and even neighbors and telling them that Phil was dead. Once the LAPD arrived, Ron got Sean and gets him out of the house. He also gives LAPD the gun that Bryn had used at his house. Bryn is still locked in the master bedroom with Phil's dead body. So Ron also tells LAPD that there's also a little girl in the house. LAPD enters the house to look for Bergen and they find her hiding under the blankets in the corner of the bed. Meanwhile, Bryn can probably tell that there is going to be an end to this soon and it's probably not going to be good for her. So she, she just killed her husband. He's a beloved comedy icon and she called her sister and told her to make sure that the kids always knew that she loved them. Then she put a gun in her mouth and she pulled the trigger. Officers were still in the house retrieving Bergen when they heard the shot. They had to assume that they had an active shooter. So they got out of the house and surrounded it on the outside. They broke windows to enter the house and attempted to call out to Bryn from inside the master bedroom door. But when there's no answer, they breached the door and found 40-year-old Bryn Hartman's lifeless body lying next to her 49-year-old husband, Phil Hartman's body. Sean and Bergen were taken to the police station. Their parents' bodies were zipped up in plastic shrouds and wheeled out on gurneys to the coroner's van. They were orphans now, but they were far from alone. A friend of Phil's went to the police station and asked if he could take the kids to the park across the street to get them out of the station. He took them over and talked to the kids a little bit. Sean told him that his mom had promised him that she was going to take him to all these fun places, but now she wouldn't be able to do that. Bergen was in shock and just said she was never going to see mommy and daddy again. Bryn's family was shocked too. This wasn't like their sister. What happened? In the last day's documentary, Phil's friend Wink said that he thought it was a publicity stunt at first, but a bad one. He also said through hysterical tears, so selfish, how she could take him away from everybody. On June 4th, 1998, his cremated remains were spread on Catalina Island as stated in his will. Everyone was in utter shock and many people were just looking for someone to blame. Andy Dick took a hit for giving Bryn cocaine. Like, also, he didn't give her cocaine the day that she killed him. Like, no, it was like six months prior. Yeah. And it was also like eight years after she first started doing cocaine. It was not the first yeah. time she ever did coke. Like, well, and even if he did give her cocaine on the day that she killed her husband, he didn't give her the gun. He didn't, you know, like 
she was a grown woman. She was capable of making her own decisions just because somebody also has a, is struggling with something, the same thing that you're struggling with doesn't mean that exactly like you have to take on their problems as your own. Like that's not fair. No. And like even John Lovitz whispered to him at one point, I know you killed Phil Hartman. You gave Bryn cocaine. Come on, John Lovitz. I love you, man. Get your shit together. Yeah. No. Like that's not cool. Dang. Well, that's that's not going to help Andy Dick get through his addiction. Yeah, his substance. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. On June 8th, 1998, Bren's toxicology report was released. It showed that her blood alcohol level was 0.12% and that she had Zoloft and cocaine in her system. According to alcohol.org, with a blood alcohol level of 0.10, a person would typically have delayed reaction times and speech would be slurred. Thinking and reasoning would be slower and they would have trouble coordinating their arms and legs. This site says that a blood alcohol level of 0.15% is very high and the person would have significant difficulty with balance and their voluntary muscles. Like walking, talking would all be difficult. You'll fall and hurt yourself, all that kind of stuff. It was noted that at this level, vomiting might also occur. Not only was Bryn's blood alcohol level in this high range, but she was also full of cocaine. But Zoloft actually became the scapegoat out of everything. Not even Andy Dick. Yep. Came close to Zoloft in this case. Nope. On May 28th, 1999, exactly a year later, Greg, Bryn's brother, sued Zoloft's manufacturer, Pfizer. The suit claimed that Bryn's use of Zoloft caused, quote, her not to know what she was doing and that Zoloft was a substantial contributing factor. Pfizer released a statement saying there was no medical or scientific evidence that Zoloft caused violent or suicidal behavior. They made no admission of guilt or wrongdoing, but they did reach a settlement of $100,000 basically to make the suit go away. It also does say not to drink alcohol with it. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I feel like you shouldn't have to tell people if you take cocaine with this medication, it may not, this medication may not function properly. Like you're just not supposed to do coke with your judgment and your decision-making skills, right? So- First of all, like I've been on Zoloft. I didn't kill anybody because for many reasons. Mm-hmm. But like they are putting all this blame on Zoloft and they're because it's like they want, they don't have her to blame. So they need something to blame. And then like mm-hmm. they are not even considering the fact of like cocaine because who are you going to go after for cocaine? Like there's no cocaine manufacturer. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And how many people get paranoid and do become violent on drugs like cocaine? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's that is very common. Yeah. So it and Bren had a history of threatening people, people's lives before. Yep. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this isn't a specifically Zoloft. She's not even like monitored on this Zoloft or if she is, it's by a fucking pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's like, hey, your kid is however old. We'll see you again in a year, probably, or more Yeah. when he has to come back in. Let me know how that works out for you. Like, yeah. But I mean, and her family was like, you know, she started the Zoloft a month before they were killed or something like that. You know, that is not a coincidence. Like, of course, they're correlated. And it's just like, yeah, but are we just going to forget about all the alcohol and cocaine in our system yeah. too? Like you can't do are you that. Sue they that don't bar? go together. Yeah. Right. Are you going to sue the bar yeah. and her friend for giving her alcohol? Like, no. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's really sad. And yeah. 
I mean, it, it is hard to think that somebody that you love could do something like that, but there's a lot of factors at play, a lot, a lot of factors at play. This is something that's been simmering for a long time, mm-hmm. like a long time. Phil Hartman was comedy gold and had a specific way of being a lovable asshole. The day he died, the Simpsons canceled rehearsal. They also decided to retire the characters he voiced because no one can do those voices. Phil was also the first choice to provide the voice of Zap Brannigan in Futurama, but he died before he could record any lines. The character of Philip J. Fry is reportedly named after him. His death was written into news radio as a heart attack. His character had written letters to each of the other staffers in the make-believe radio station. The letters were provided for the first time to the actors and actresses on camera, and their reactions while reading the letters were their true reactions. That's kind of fucked up, I think. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's like they had written, like the people had written the letters, and they were, so it wasn't really from Phil, but right. it's still like, all right, we're going to get their genuine reaction to their friend's death. No, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of, let them grieve, man. Like, they're actors. They can do it. Like, I don't know. And filming was paused multiple times so the cast could compose themselves enough to continue. NBC executive Don Olemeyer said that Phil was blessed with a tremendous gift for creating characters that made people laugh. Everyone who had the pleasure of working with Phil knows that he was a man of tremendous warmth, a true professional, and a loyal friend. News radio would attempt to continue shooting and tried to have John Lovett step in, but the show wasn't meant to go on without Phil, so it was canceled after five seasons. In the words of Andy Dick, never going to be anyone, anybody that can fill his shoes. After his death, Phil's hometown of Brantford, Ontario, built a plaque on their little walk of fame to honor Phil and his career. Canada also honors him with an award for postgraduate students at Humber College Comedy, writing and performance in Toronto. He also posthumously received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The star was revealed on August 26, 2014, with the help of past co-stars and friends. Sean and Bergen stayed with Phil's brother, John, for a little bit, but then they went to live with Bryn's sister, Catherine, who was already in the Hartman's wills as the godparent. They have mostly stayed in obscurity and even grew up under a different last name, but Greg said they grew up very loved. Sean is 33 years old now and has obtained his art degree. Now he's focused on becoming a musician and artist. Bergen is 29 years old and married. She actually showed up for SNL 40th anniversary in 2015. She and her husband started a business together, and she's occasionally seen on Instagram. Bergen did post a photo of her and Phil for Father's Day with the caption, This dapper dude will always have my heart. I miss him dearly. And that is it. That's it. Man. Man, oh man. Man, oh man. I know. Mm -hmm. Oh, and thank you to Sloan for um, writing this up. No problem. I I don't normally get to tell you to your face. I know. It's okay, though. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, we are super excited to have had our very special guest on this episode. And, of course, you know, you guys let us know what uh, you think about this one. Let us know your favorite Phil Hartman moments, characters, quotes, whatever it be. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. All right. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. 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 We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. 
The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.